Oh, Father in heaven, as we come before your word, we acknowledge that we are completely dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to receive what you want us to hear this morning. With the psalmist in Psalm 119, we ask that your Holy Spirit, or that you will graciously teach us your word. Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Father, this morning we want to behold Christ. Father, give us life according to your word. Incline our hearts to your word. Give us understanding and help us to delight and hope in your word. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sung is going to read our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 34. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Well, never forget the day I first tasted avocado. Now, you might not know this about me, but I'm a, but I'm a yeah, you can laugh, <laughs> but, but I'm a pretty picky eater, and growing up, and, and maybe even in some sense still today, I have this rule that if it's green, it's going to taste gross, so just don't eat it. So unfortunately, and maybe kids, maybe some of you youth, that's your rule too, it's not a bad one, but in this case it was, because unfortunately, I went the first 21 years of my life without ever tasting the deliciousness of an avocado. And really the one main thing that an avocado is good for, and that's guacamole. 21 years without ever experiencing that. However, on that fateful day, the summer of 2008, when when a coworker just dumbfounded that I had never eaten an avocado before, offered me a piece. Afternoon, as I, as I reluctantly took it, I, I kind of turned in my chair so that no one can see me. I, I reluctantly put it in my mouth, ready, just fully ready to spit it out, thinking this is just going to be disgusting. But as I tasted the avocado, at once two, two feelings overcame me. 
First, I, I was delighted by how good this avocado tasted. Amen? That's right. But at the same time, I was disappointed. I was disappointed that I had missed out on this goodness for so long. I had missed out on all that the food world had to offer me in the avocado. Have you guys ever had an experience like this? Maybe it's uh, you know, realizing your phone does something that you never knew it could do and you, you, you figure it out and you're like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, man, I wish I had known this so much earlier, so much sooner. It would have made such a difference. Have you ever had an experience like that, missing out on something because you didn't really know all that was available to you, all that, that was being offered to you? And now, while I know it's not exactly the same thing as my experience with avocados, I wonder if maybe our experience of the Lord's Supper, if we could say the same thing. I wonder if for for many of us, as we look at our experience of the Lord's Supper, if we we could, could look back on that experience and just say like, oh man, for so long I missed out on all that God was offering me in the bread and in the cup. Because I think for many of us, when we, when we think of the Lord's Supper, we, we come to the table with, with a minimalistic understanding, with a, with a reduced understanding of what God would have for us in the bread and the cup. It, the, the Lord's Supper becomes, for, for many of us, I know this was, was true in my life for so long, it becomes like a primarily a private, individual, devotional experience where I remember the cross. The Lord's Supper becomes a time for me primarily to, to get right with God. Now, these aren't bad things. These aren't wrong things at all, as we're going to see in a moment. Those are elements of the Lord's Supper. But, but as we come to the table, as we get the bread in the cup, if those are the only thing that comes to mind for us when we think of the Lord's Supper, then like my experience with avocados, we can miss out on so much, because in the Lord's Supper, there is so much more that God is offering to us. Personally, I've just been so excited to get to to preach on this sacrament, to get to preach on the Lord's Supper, because over the last few years, this has just been an area in my life where just by God's grace, I've been able to to grow in my understanding, and I've been, been jealous for the opportunity for all of us to grow together. So what I want to do this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit is to enlarge our understanding of what's happening in the Lord's Supper by answering the question, how should we approach the Lord's Supper? What what, what should be our posture as we come to the Lord's table? I, I want us to see the extraordinary things that God is doing as we take the ordinary, and you might even say small, piece of bread and cup. I want us to see, see four ways that we should approach the Lord's Supper. This morning, we're going to look at four ways to approach the Lord's Supper. And first, as I mentioned earlier, we want to approach the Lord's Supper by looking back in remembrance of Christ. As we come to the table, our, our posture should be one of remembrance. It should be looking back on the person and the work of Christ. As, as we see in the words of institution that we read every week, we eat the bread and we drink the cup in remembrance of Christ. Christ said that this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said that the cup is the new covenant in his blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance 
of me. Before we look at this idea of remembering, I want to look at what we're supposed to be remembering. Recounting Jesus' words from the Last Supper that we just saw, we see that we're supposed to remember Christ's death for us. Given the Old Testament background of the Passover, the annual celebration where all the Israelites would get together and would remember God's past deliverance from Egypt, when Jesus, on that night of the Last Supper, when, when he pointed to his death, when he pointed to his body broken, to his blood shed, we see that he's, he's remaking the Passover. Rather than remembering God's act of salvation from Egypt through the death of the Lamb, as important as that was, in the Last Supper and what we celebrate every week in the Lord's Supper, Jesus wants us to remember his even greater act of salvation. Because we weren't just redeemed from the land of Egypt, but in Christ's death, we have been freed from sin. And this is accomplished through Christ's death on the cross. This is, this is what we're to remember. As we take the bread in the cup, we look back in remembrance of the shame and the agony that Christ endured on the cross. We look back remembering the wrath of God that Christ endured for you and for me. So that all who trust in him, that all who turn from, their, from their, going their own way, all who look to Christ, acknowledging their sin, acknowledging their need of forgiveness that's found in Christ alone, that we can be saved. That's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. We remember Christ's death. But what exactly does it, does it mean to remember? Does it mean that we just recall to mind the facts of Christ's death? Perhaps maybe even in your mind's eye, recounting, recounting the, the events of that night, recounting Jesus' betrayal, his trial, his, his death, his resurrection. Is that what it means to remember? Well, I certainly think that it doesn't mean, mean less than this. In this concept of remembering, there's so much more for us here. Because when Christ tells us to do this in remembrance of him, it's more than just mental recognition. Christ is inviting us to see ourselves as participants in this event. Christ is calling us to let this meal, this bread and this cup, define who we are. And this becomes clear when we consider again the Passover celebration, right? The, the Lord's Supper didn't just come out of nowhere, but it had this, this background of the Old Testament celebration of the Passover. And if you remember, each year God called all the families in Egypt to gather together to celebrate the Passover. Each year they would take the Passover lamb, they would slaughter that lamb, and, and as they would do that, as they would slaughter the lamb, as they would eat all of the meat that night, it wasn't so much just so that they would mentally remember, oh, this is what God did for, for my ancestors hundreds, maybe even thousands of years ago. But as they did that, as they, as they killed the Passover lamb, as they went through this ritual, God was calling them to see themselves as if they themselves experienced that exodus from Egypt. And in, in, in the book of Exodus, Jesus, not Jesus, in the book of Exodus, Moses tells us that in, in the Lord's Supper, when, it, when, when they celebrate the Lord's Supper, they were, to, they were to proclaim, this is what the Lord did for me when he redeemed me, when he delivered me from Egypt. This wasn't just mentally remembering something that happened so many years ago, but God was calling the nation of Israel to see themselves as if they themselves experienced this great deliverance from Egypt. 
God was inviting the Israelites to let his great story of salvation define who they are. God wanted them to see who they were, to see what he did to save them. And the same is true for us and for our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Because as we take the bread and the cup, as we do these things in remembrance of him, it's not just so that we, we mentally look back and remember Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We're not just calling those to mind, but God wants those events to have an active role in our lives. He wants that event, that monumental salvation event of Christ experiencing his death on the cross, he wants that to define who we are. So in this way, we can look at the Lord's Supper as almost like a weekly identity-forming practice for us. Each week as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's immersing us in the story of the gospel. The bread and the cup, the Spirit is telling us through the bread and the cup who we are and what God has done to save us. It's in the Lord's Supper that we see our identity. We see who we truly are. Uh, Pastor Todd Billings helpfully said, he, he said that the true identity of the Christian is beheld and tasted at the table. You see what he's saying here? He's saying that our true identity as Christians, we behold that and we taste that in the Lord's Supper. And I don't know about you, but I find this so comforting. I find this so comforting because God knows our hearts. He knows that all week long we're tempted from within and from without to locate our meaning, to locate our identity, to find our purpose and our happiness in anything and everything but the gospel. All week, we are hearing story after story that is seeking to tell us who we are, and those stories are anything but the gospel. But each week through the Lord's Supper, God is reminding our wandering hearts again and again what's most true of us. As we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded that we are those who have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. We've been saved from God's wrath against our sin. We've been adopted as children of the Father. We have been made co-heirs with Christ. So as we approach the Lord's Supper, first we want to look back in remembrance. We want the bread and the cup to shape our identity, to show us what is most true of us as those who are the blood-bought people of Christ. So we want to look back, but secondly, it doesn't end there. We want to look up in communion with Christ. In the Lord's Supper, we enjoy communion or fellowship with the risen and ascended Christ. Well, I've been calling this meal the Lord's Supper. As many of you know, it's also called communion. And this idea, and this comes from the idea that in the Lord's Supper, we enjoy fellowship with Christ. We keep company with him. We see this point made most explicitly in an often neglected passage on the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 10. If you have your Bibles, just look back a few verses previously in verse 16, where the Apostle Paul, speaking of the Lord's Supper, he says that the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This word participation, it's the word koinonia, it's the same word for fellowship. It's the same word that we get that translates sharing in. When we take the bread and the cup in a very real sense, we are having fellowship with the body of Christ, with the blood of Christ. 
This verse is found in the middle of Paul's argument as he is discouraging the Corinthian believers from participating in pagan meals, um, in pagan meals that are honored, in, in, from participating in, in sacrificial meals where they, where they would sacrifice the food to these idols and they would, would then eat the food. And Paul is saying, look, you guys, you can't do that. For, for, for those Corinthians, they were thinking, what's the big deal? It's just eating food, just drinking, drinking the cup. It's not a big deal. But for Paul, this is a very big deal. Because he's trying to get them to see that in those pagan meals, there's more going on than just eating food. And he wants them to see that by comparing it to the Lord's Supper. Or in this verse that we see here, we see that in the Lord's Supper, we're doing more than just eating bread. We're doing more than just eating or drinking the cup. We're doing something deeper. We're doing something bigger. Something infinitely more profound is going on. As we see here, as we are participating in the body and blood of Christ, we're sharing in, we're communing with, we are having fellowship with the risen and ascended Christ. And some of you guys might be freaked out right now. What does that mean? What does that mean that we have participation in the body and blood of Christ? What, what does Paul mean here? And well, there's certainly a lot that can be said. There's a lot that has been said here. At a minimum, I think that in the Lord's Supper, this idea of participation, we're to see that Christ is present with us by the Spirit, and that through faith, as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, we receive the benefits of Christ's death for us. Let me say that again. To participate in, to have communion with Christ in the Lord's Supper means that he is present with us by his Holy Spirit. And that through faith, when we eat the bread, when we drink the cup, we are receiving the benefits of his death for us. Far from just being something that we, we remember as having happened in the past, the Lord's Supper is a feast where Christ nourishes us in the present. I think that there's a helpful connection with food here. I mean, it's just the wonderful joy that, that Christ gave us props. He gave us illustrations here as we have the bread in the cup. Because in the same way that food literally strengthens our body, just think of whatever you ate for breakfast this morning. Perhaps you, you woke up early and you had the breakfast of champions. Or maybe you just grabbed a Pop-Tart as you were running out the door because you were already late for church. Whatever, whatever it was that you ate this morning, that food right now is, is strengthening your body. That food is being used to sustain your body, to help you keep going. And so it is in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we see that the Spirit uses the bread in the cup to strengthen and to sustain us spiritually. The bread in the cup, they feed our faith as we receive anew all of the promises of the new covenant. Yes, all of those promises are already ours, but in the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit makes these realities to us. He, he, he brings them to us afresh. We are reminded once again of our forgiveness of sins. We're reminded of the reconciliation that we've experienced with Christ. We're reminded of our adoption. The Spirit is, is making those benefits new to us all over again. This is one of the reasons why, why I'm so grateful here at Grace Church that we celebrate the Lord's Supper each week because it's so much more than just mentally recalling facts. It's a feast that strengthens and nourishes our faith as we receive Christ and all his benefits. 
far from being something that might become rote or something that might lose its meaning, the Lord's Supper is instrumental for our spiritual growth. It's a means of grace. It's a sacrament. It's a means of grace that God uses to move us into a deeper and a more transformative experience of his gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us. I don't know about you, but, but looking at the Lord's Supper in this way is so different from anything that I ever experienced growing up. Growing up, the Lord's Supper, we didn't take it often, but when we did take the Lord's Supper, it was always made into a very, into a very somber, into a very like, sobering experience where we were called to, to kind of take a step back, to kind of engage in this morbid introspection. As I don't think the pastor was doing it on purpose, but in the most helpful way, he called us to examine ourselves, to make sure that we didn't have any unconfessed sin in our hearts. Otherwise, as we heard in the passage this morning, we could be eating or drinking judgment on ourselves. I mean, this was serious business, right? We could die if we don't do this right. And so the Lord's Supper became a very sober experience. It became a very quiet, introspective experience. And all too often in my own heart, I found that this took the focus off of Christ and what he's done for me, and it put the emphasis on myself. But as we've just seen, as we take the Lord's Supper, we're to look up in communion with Christ. We, we commune with Christ as we remember what he's done for us, as we remember that he's present with us by his spirit. The Lord's Supper isn't a carrot or a stick. The Lord's Supper, it's not an incentive for good behavior. It's not, it's not, there's not supposed to be this fear of punishment on our sin. But it's a means of grace that God uses to strengthen and to build up our faith. As one pastor put it so well, I was just struck by this quote this week. I hope that this ministers to your heart. This pastor said that the Lord's Supper is not a prize for the perfect, but it's powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. You hear that? The Lord's Supper, it's not a prize for the perfect, but it's a powerful medicine and nourishment for the weak. If you're here this morning or if you've ever been tempted to say, man, I've just had a really bad week. I can't take the Lord's Supper. Perhaps you're here, maybe you're even overwhelmed with a sense of guilt, with a sense of shame that's thinking, that has you thinking, man, I can't celebrate the Lord's Supper. I want you to know that it's especially for you that Christ has prepared this meal. This morning, if that's how you're feeling, if you're feeling overwhelmed with guilt, overwhelmed with shame, know that this morning, as we take the Lord's Supper, Christ is inviting you to joyfully and confidently come to his table to receive powerful medicine, to receive nourishment for your soul. Christ wants to strengthen you this morning with his, with his grace as you come to him in communion, as we receive his promises all over again. This isn't a meal for those who have it together, those who have somehow earned it. But this is a meal for us to come and to receive from Christ as we experience communion with him. You see, in the most ordinary acts of eating and drinking, I don't know if there's anything more ordinary that we do as humans, God is doing an extraordinary thing as we experience communion with him, as he nourishes our faith. Church, I hope you're encouraged. Hope this is building your faith for what God is doing as we take the bread and the cup. So we want to look back, we want to look up, but as we approach the Lord's Supper, we also want to look around in communion with Christ's people, 
Because when Christ saved us, he didn't just save us to, into this independent relationship with Christ, but he saved us into his body. He saved us and made us part of his people. And we experience not only this vertical element of communion with him in the Lord's Supper, but we also experience this horizontal element of communion, of fellowship with one another. If there's one thing that Paul doesn't want us to miss in our celebration of the Lord's Supper is its togetherness. The Lord's Supper is, is the church's act. It's something that we do together. That's why in Paul's teaching on the Lord's Supper, five times he uses this phrase. He says, when you come together, when you come together. The Lord's Supper is something that we do together as a body. It's, it's a meal that we celebrate together, displaying our unity as the body of Christ. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this time in verse 17, we see Paul making this same point where he says, because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one meal. The one loaf is meant to be a visual reminder to all of us of our unity with each other. This is a unity that flows from our communion with each other in Christ. And it's against this backdrop of our, of our unity that we're supposed to have with each other that we can understand some of those harder sayings in this passage that we read this morning. Because what should have been happening when the church gathered together was supposed to be a display of their unity, a, a display of their fellowship with one another. But what we see in verses 17 to 22 is anything but a picture of unity. In fact, it's a disturbing picture of the disunity that was happening in the Corinthian church. We see that the rich members had turned this Lord's Supper into their own private party. They were showing up earlier while the, while the poor members of the church were still working. All the rich would gather together and they would eat and drink, leaving nothing for everyone else. They were living it up. They were getting drunk. And in doing so, they were dishonoring the body of Christ. And this gets Paul fired up. That's how we can make sense of those harsh words in verses 27 to 29 that, that can maybe cause us to come to the table with a little bit of, of hesitancy. You know, Paul says that, that we, we're, if we do this in an unworthy manner, that we're, we're, eating, we're eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. He says that we're to do this with discerning the body. What does that mean? Does it mean, does it mean that we need to, to look inwardly to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin? Well, I think as we understand the unity that we're meant to have, as we understand the, the, dis, the display of our unity and our fellowship with one another, as we, we see these calls to examine ourselves, to discern the body. These are, these are far from being verses that speak to our quest and need to, to find and confess every little sin that we might have committed over this past week. But these are calls for us to live out the connection between our love for Christ and our love for his people. As we gather together, the Lord's Supper is meant to be a weekly, a tangible reminder that in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, Christ didn't just bring us into union with himself, but he brought us into union with his people, his body. So in light of this, as we partake the Lord's Supper each week, I just want to encourage all of you to use this time to pursue unity in the body. Consider your relationships with those in this church. Are there any in need of reconciliation? Husbands and wives, parents and children, Brothers and sisters, I mean, how are you doing here? How are your relationships? Friends, Grace Church, how are we doing here? 
in our relationships with one another? Are we, are we displaying our unity or is there perhaps something that is preventing our unity with one another? If you're, if you're aware of perhaps some way that you have offended another brother or sister, use the Lord's Supper as an opportunity to commit to pursuing reconciliation. That might even mean a, a brief conversation here in the middle of, of celebrating the Lord's Supper where we just confess our sin, where we get right with one another, where we pursue and display reconciliation with one another. And as we, as we consider the togetherness of the Lord's Supper, not only do we, want to, do we want to pursue unity, but we also want to give thanks to God for what he's done in our midst. The Lord's Supper, it's not a private devotional experience that just happens to include a hundred other people doing the same thing at the same time. Church, we don't want to simply close our eyes, but I want to call us all, Paul wants to call us all to look around, to look around and to marvel at those that he's redeemed. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to rejoice together at God's gracious work in each of our lives. We want to look at the person next to you, look at the person across the room from you, and just give thanks to God for his work of redemption. Give thanks to God that there are other people besides you that he has called and drawn to himself. So how do we approach the Lord's Supper? We want to look back, we want to look up, we want to look around. And lastly, we see that we want to look forward in hope of Christ's return. Paul makes this point explicit in verse 26 where he says, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we hear these words, until he comes, we're reminded that the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the feast that we're going to experience when Christ returns. It's a picture of the, of, it's a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb that we see pictured for us in Revelation 19. This is the day that Christ spoke of with his disciples when he said in Matthew 26, he said that I tell you that I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. In the Lord's Supper, we look forward to that day, to the day when Christ will return when he'll feast with us. We look forward in hope to the day when Christ's presence with us will no longer be mediated by the Holy Spirit because we'll see him face to face. It's on that day, it's on that day that we look forward to in hope when we will see Christ, when our faith will be made sight, and we will rejoice and will exult in his presence because for the first time, we'll experience perfect communion with him. We'll experience the communion that we were meant to enjoy. And not only will we see Christ face to face, but as we learn in Revelation 21, on that day, on that day that we look forward to and hope when Christ returns, there will be no more hurt, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more danger, there will be no more death. Evil will be gone. Temptation, no more. This is what the Lord's Supper is pointing to. You see, the Lord's Supper, you see, for all the riches that we experience in the Lord's Supper, all of them are just a foretaste of what we look forward to. The bread and the cup that we're going to share this morning, they're not the main dish, but they're only an appetizer of the coming feast. They're weekly reminders for us that the best is still yet to come. Just like in a fireworks display with its grand finale, God is saving his best for last. Each week as we take the bread and the cup, in some sense, it's kind of like a sanctified letdown. 
Because each week as we gather together, as we take the Lord's Supper together, we're reminded that he hasn't come. It's the sanctified letdown. We are, we are excited that we experience fellowship with Christ, fellowship with one another, but we're also reminded that he hasn't returned. We still live life in this fallen, broken world. And so for now, we trust and we wait. We ache and we long and we look forward to his glorious day. We look forward to when he comes. And we do so in hope. We do so in hope because the same bread and cup that are foretaste of this feast that we'll experience with Christ, they're also reminders of Christ's body broken and blood shed for us. We have no reason for doubt. We have no reason for despair because we know with absolute confidence that the same Christ who was crucified was risen and he will come again. And oh, what a day that will be, church. So how do we approach the Lord's Supper? This morning we've seen it. It's more than just a mental acknowledgement of, of facts of something that happened 2,000 years ago. We want to look back in remembrance in Christ as those events that night as they shape our identity. We want to look up in communion with Christ as we feast on Christ, as he nourishes our souls. We want to look around in communion with his people as we revel, as we experience once again the joy that God has made us into a people. And we look forward in hope, in hope of his return. We know that Christ is risen and that Christ will return. So as we close our service, we want to, we want to put all of this into practice. We want to put all of this that we've been learning into practice as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So as the band comes, as the ushers prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I have just two brief words of instruction. First, for those